This week's episode of the Fat Packs Podcast is brought to you by the Collectible Card Club, Monster Breaks, and all our phone guests appear on the Spotty Hot Cash Hotline. He is Paul, laughing uncontrollably. This is the Fat Packs Podcast. We are brought to you by the Collectible Card Club and Monster Breaks. What's up, Paul? Saw, dude. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah? I'm doing well. It's Thursday. It is Thursday. We're recording on a Thursday, which is kind of cool. Right. The coolest part about today. What's that? I don't have to go to work tomorrow. You're off tomorrow? I'm off tomorrow. Don't be one of those guys that says, it's my Friday. It's I, my Friday. I want to kick those people squarely in the chin. Yes, you do. But it, it's the problem ridiculous. with that is they'd have to be sitting down because there's yeah. no way you're going to get your foot up that high. Probably not. But if we get them just to line up, sit down, and get kicked in the chin, that would be fine. Right. This is the most ridiculous thing. It's not your Friday. It's selfish of you to think that it's your Friday. That's true. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you were out Monday, so I recorded both of our interviews, Sans Paul. Uh, but you're here now. Man, I'm a slacker. You're, man. Are you finding another job? Is that what it is? No, 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 no. I did a anymore? couple interviews and it didn't work out. <laughs> they just said I wasn't built for that job. So, so I don't know what they meant by that. But uh, <sighs> yeah, whatever. It's all good. No, I'm not leaving. I'm here. Yeah? You mean the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man thing didn't work out? No, <laughs> it didn't actually. Ghostbusters 3 is not going to happen. Uh, they tried to cast me for that. They said more I was more of a slimer. Mm. And uh, I didn't want to go that route. You didn't want to be a slimer? No, nah, man. All right. Neon green's not my color. All right. All right. So, cool. So, uh, what's going on new products-wise, man? Dude, man, it was, it was a big week. Yeah? It was a big week. Uh, I might have been a little absent here and there, but uh, didn't, didn't stop the products from coming out. So, um, all right, man. So, let's go. Where do we start, man? Let's start with Otani Watch. Otani Watch is going crazy, man. Anything that's got Otani on it right now is going crazy, and Donruss Baseball is no exception to that. Okay. 2018 Donruss, uh, Panini Donruss Baseball is out, uh, about $85 a box. All right. Um, getting three autos or mem per box, 24 packs, eight cards per pack, um, packed with Otanis. There's some non-numbered ones. I've seen out of 99, out of 49, and out of 25. Uh, and I would imagine there's a one of one as well. Somewhere out there. Somewhere out there. Um, so yeah, man, go get your uh, Otanis uh, in Donner's Baseball. So that's rocking and rolling. Uh, select basketball drops tomorrow. A lot Oops. of hype on this, man. Um, 165 a box, looking at three autos or mem per box, uh, 12 prisms, 12, uh, 10 premier um, I don't know, can't read my notes, but the premier version of the cards, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Uh, the two courtside cards. So tons of fi- tons of um, color in this as well. All right, lots of prisms, lots of color. All right. 
165 a box on select. Um, Sage drop too. Yeah. 2018 rookies for football. Um, that was awesome. We actually opened a few boxes yesterday. Yeah, sure did. 95 a box, 12 autos per box. 12 per box. That was so much fun, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was fun, man. I, you know, I didn't know some of the names, mm-hmm. you know, but a month, two months from now, we might know those names. Yeah. They might be household names, you know, once they get into camp and get drafted and depending on what team they go to. So tons of fun, tons of parallels. Uh, it's good stuff, $95 a box if you like to get a bunch of autos. All right, last one. Um, Panini Contenders Optic Football dropped as well. Yes. That's a mouthful. But it's full of good stuff, for sure. Uh, it's one fifty a box. You're going to get two autos in your box. Uh, one should be on card. Uh, it's one pack. You get six cards in that pack. So 150 bucks, six cards. Kind of high risk, high reward. Um, but it's pretty cool. They uh, they add a little chrome, as we'll say, little finish to the cards. Okay. All and right. uh, I'm digging it. Like, just like Prism. Yeah. Just like Prism. Just All like right. Prism. Yep. Um, new pricing. What you got? Hmm. Select football is done. Select football is done. Select football is done. <laughs> yeah, we had no no new pricing, man. We were just banging out other stuff. We know? were. I mean, we had the in defense, yeah. you know, with the industry summit and whatnot. We've had a lot going on. So uh, some of us been out of the office. Yeah. Some of us been chasing our tails. Yeah. And uh, that's where we're at. Right this now. is the first week in a long time I can remember that we don't have any new pricing to mention. Right. Uh, yeah. Not even like like synergy. I haven't even really touched that it was a uh, that's a nice product i want to say that synergy is a nice product i like it um it's something that i think hockey needed okay um e- upper deck does a good job with their e-pack you know that's fine but this is a this is a like a chase element to this that um i don't i, I can't recall one in in just a physical set in a while okay so the the base cards are tough really they're numbered to 18 or less i'm talking 18 17 7 and 8 that's so there's only eight complete sets is what you're seven me. there's only seven, seven complete, complete sets. sets yeah wow they're and tough. that's the base set. that's the base set so what do the inserts look like or the, the so then there's four levels of parallels red which you, which most collectors will most likely treat as the base set it's the most common of the of the parallels okay so red blue Purple and green. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Red, blue, green, purple. Is okay. Like that. It's all those are tough. Okay. Wow. Now, with that being said, uh, one box, eight packs, three cards per pack, fifteen parallels per box. Whew. Al and I, Al Muir and I, opened up four boxes of it. Got zero base cards. Wow. Four boxes. Four boxes. I like the chase element of of the uh, of the base set. Again, only seven sets are going to be. able to to be completed yeah it's gonna be expensive yeah now are the rookies in the base set yeah rookies are in the base, rookies set. The base uh, set okay numbered uh 18 and 8 respectively wow. so they're, they're tiered okay and that third tier is the toughest of them wow. to get same so, with the legends in the base set they're they're tiered okay and the legends are uh no i'm sorry the legends are not tiered, but the legends are the, the toughest in the base set to get so you don't from, like gretzky yeah, yeah, you yeah, guys yeah, like that yeah. okay wow one we we opened four boxes pulled one autograph those were one in 48 Okay. And we pulled a metal card of Wayne Gretzky called uh, Etches, and, Etches, and Grace, Etches and Greatness. Okay. Uh, one in 62, I think. Wow. So cool. those were tougher than the autographs. And the autograph we pulled was a Wayne Simmons who was on the B list. You know, the, he oh, was okay. on the, uh, 
group okay. B. But it's a, it's a it's a nice product. I like it a lot. Cool. It's clean. It's part acetate, part cardboard. Cart part expensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, man. I liked it a lot. So that that was out. Uh, and Al and I ripped it up and had a lot of fun with it. And I have no new pricing to give you. So I gave you uh, my thoughts on Synergy. There you go. Well, something that I, I don't know if it just came out this week. But we'll talk about it for real quick. Um, but I think they were just able to break it from a breaking standpoint. Okay. Monster breaks. Um, did you see what they got last night? No. You did not see? So last night, they opened up some of that uh, that new Upper Deck product. The, oh, uh, the oh, floorboards the and everything, yeah, 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 the hardwood yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one guy nailed it, man. He got a wow. quad patch Ben Simmons auto out of 99. Very nice. Um, Monster Breaks just killed this product, man. That's probably, you know, I'm guessing there, a lot of people are speculating about $3,000 card out of that stuff. So kudos to them. Kudos to Monster Breaks. Check them out. They, uh, that's definitely a monster. Since we're talking about breaking, um, I want to go back a few episodes and remember we had the vault on and they were split, right? Those little yeah. part breaking and part uh, part in store, you know, heart, heart standing LCS. Uh, they pulled a Ben Simmons out of Flawless number to two. What? Yeah. Wow. So c- kudos to those guys. Good job. Man. Trust the process. Trust the process. So that's it for new products and pricing. Um, we do need to talk about something off top here that is. Top. Look at you. Look at you being <laughs> funny. I like it. Off top like it. that is made the news recently. And it's kind of huge if it's true. Okay. Is tops for sale? I'm buying. Oh Man. wait, <laughs> I don't have any money to buy it. But it's it's this was in Bloomberg, uh, March fifth, by Ky, uh, Kyle Porter. Okay. Um, just read the first couple of lines here. The private equity owners of Topps Company are weighing a sell of the baseball card maker people, with knowledge of the people said with knowledge of the matter. Madison Dearborn Partners and Tornet Company, the private investment firm of former Walt Disney C, uh, chief executive officer Michael Eisner are speaking with bankers about strategic options for the company, said the people, who were asked to be, not to be identified because they weren't authorized to speak. The most likely option to be pursued is splitting the company's card and candy businesses with the, with the latter, which contributes most of its $40 million earning before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization being sold first. The people said, the total value of the company is about $400 million and final decision hasn't been made, and the groups could elect to keep their business. So, is it for sale? One. Wow. Okay. And if two, if it is for sale, what's it go for? Man, I have no idea. You know, because I think a lot of people forget, you know, the candy part of things. Right. You know that there's right. actually there's more to it than right. just than just uh, the, the 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 sports cards that we see come out. I don't know, man. But I I mean I would. I would imagine there'll be some. There's definitely some people out there interested. I mean, to me, this is almost the equivalent of like owning a major league or a franchise, yeah, yeah, like a sports yeah. team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like this is this is one of them. Sure. So um, it'll be interesting to see, man. I don't I don't know how that how big business works like that. If you say it's worth four hundred million, does it sell for that? Does it sell for five hundred? Does it EBITDA. sell for three? Remember EBITDA? EBITDA. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know all the terms there, but uh, man, what a great story. We'll have to follow that. Yeah, we got to follow that. Stay on top of that. Um, I'm sure. Uh, Sure, there'll be some more announcements if it obviously if it's going to sell, we'll we'll know more. Yeah, but, we'll know uh, sooner. Um, but yeah, that's uh, something to think about. Something you just don't wouldn't necessarily think about on a day to day basis. Sure. But, uh, very interesting. If you had the money, would you buy it? Heck yeah. 
Heck yeah. Yeah. In a heartbeat, man, to own. This is like, I mean, we work at Beckett, right? Sure. So we work around cards. We work around sports. We're the, shoot, be the owner of Tops. Yeah. You create cards. You, right. You know, be, do talk to whoever you want to. Meet everybody you want to. And, sure. and do whatever you want to. Uh, I think that would be very, very, just be cool, man. Be like a little kid in the candy store. Plus, they have candy. Yeah. So it really would be a kid in the candy store. <laughs> so works the, out for me. The ramifications of what could possibly happen. This is all just speculation at this point. But, right, right. I mean, what would happen to the baseball license? You know, yeah. The WWE license, the the, the UFC license. What where, where would those go? Would these be part of the deal? Right. You know, all that. Would they go back up for bit or you know? As long as they don't stop making garbage pail kids. Yeah, I'll be your, very your, sad. Your big concern there. That's my <laughs> biggest concern is the garbage pail kid. And I will I will chip in fifty bucks towards whoever's buying it to make sure that the garbage pail kids stay. A whole fifty. A whole fifty. You get one box yeah. per year. Yeah, there you go. I would. I would be supportive. You and I were kind of joking around talking off air. Uh, before we, we jumped on the mics here and said, "What if Brian Gray bought it? That that would that would be crazy. It would, it would be, but you know, he he's such a good businessman. Yeah, he really you know, is. He yeah. he knows the market. He knows things. You know, I don't I don't know if that's in his uh, ability to do something right, like that. Right. But shoot, man, you give that guy an inch and he'll he'll go after it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I will tell you this: someone that you and I know who is close to this show, really close to this show." inquired about it wow yeah very cool so that's interesting that is interesting and uh, we need to go to break so i can find out who it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just messing uh again we're not saying it's for sale but the article's out and it's it's fun to talk about what could happen oh absolutely you know, so absolutely um that is very interesting all right let's set up the show first on the docket i again i did both of these interviews without paul who was out on monday taking care of his uh his himself. Yes, myself. Uh, but first up is uh, the wrestling pastor. Uh, this is this guy, I, his name is Josh. I really liked him a lot. He was fun to talk to. Um, big fan of what he does on Twitter. A lot of interaction. So okay. uh, as Christians, you and I, we, we have a lot of thoughts that we can't process sometimes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So he's found a way to do it through wrestling gifts. On Twitter. Which is wild. Yeah, and it's pretty funny. That's cool. Uh, he also has uh, a store, which this is how it all came about. I bought a, I bought a t-shirt from the store. Okay. And in the t-shirt, wrapped up in the t-shirt, was a pack of 1987 WWE Tops cards. Nice. I'm sorry, WWF Tops cards. Okay. So I was like, this dude's a collector too. So it turns uh. out. He, he does this with all his uh, all his shirts that he sells and everything. He'll he'll add a, a pack of cards or he'll add a jobber and a and a mid card guy and a superstar. You know, so he'll nice. So we got to talking about wrestling, uh, wrestling, wrestling cards, and then he's a big Jags fan too. I I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface this. I asked the dumbest question I could have possibly asked of him. Okay, he's a pastor. He works on Sundays, right? Right. I said, are you a season ticket holder? Uh, <laughs> I, I just knew, like, when it came out of my mouth, I was like, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> you never know, though. He yeah. could be a season ticket holder. They've got Thursday night, sure. Monday night, Tuesday because we needed something to do. You know, they've right. got games on, on all kinds of nights. That's so. right. So he's he's a big wrestling guy, big Jaguars guy, and we add all that together uh, talking about uh, – a little bit of everything. All right. Yeah, so, sounds good. Uh, faith, fighting, and fumbles. That's what we like to call it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and then after that, man, great interview with uh, my new friend, Dan Pashman, from Sporkful Podcast. He is also uh, on a web series called You're Eating It Wrong. And then he has a book called Eat More Better. 
that's eat period more period better right uh, not gotcha. eat, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have seen him out there he's he's great he's he's uh he's funny he is a wealth of knowledge and he's a big Cubs fan too all so right we taught collecting in the 80s uh we started, I think, at 84 tops. Okay. And kind of went through the mid-90s and then his transition into college and becoming a Cubs fan when he lived in Chicago. So All right. uh, not bad for a guy from the Northeast. So, there you go. Uh, it's a it's a fun episode. Uh, a lot of, a lot of like, kind of side sidetracks, but they, they all tie in together. And uh, I think we had a lot of fun with the interviews. All right. With all that being said, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back on the other side of this with the wrestling pastor. You guys hang tight. This is Sean Aronson, the play-by-play voice of the St. Paul Saints, your new favorite minor league baseball team, and you're tuned in to the Fat Packs Podcast. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break, and we're here with our first interview of the week, and I'm excited about this one because not only is it right up my alley and it's right up so many of your guys' alley who who listen to this podcast, but uh, he's also a man of God, which is awesome. Uh, this is Josh, the wrestling pastor. What's up, Josh? How you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, th- so this relationship started a few uh, about three weeks ago when I bought one of your amazing shirts. I'm going to call it amazing because I love it uh, off of uh, your wrestling pastor dot com website, and it's just the the old school WWF logo, but it's a WP. I dig it. Um, and I was like, I gotta have this guy on. This is great. I, I was checking out everything you do, and these gifts are amazing. Or is it GIF or GIF? I want to get it right. I don't know. Well, I, I'm a GIF guy. Okay. I, I say there's, you know, I think it's a coin flip, but that's that's what I prefer. Okay, so your gifts are awesome, and yeah. then lo and behold, when I didn't know that this was part of the deal, I I opened the package and unfolded the shirt, and I was like, oh great, it's my size, and a a present. From the Lord above dropped out. It was a pack of 1987 Tops WWF cards. I was like, "He's in." This makes perfect sense now, and here we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and what's funny is that was it. Sometimes, hey man, sometimes the Lord works in mysterious ways. I actually had I had three of those packs, and so when I dropped that shirt design, I was like, "Oh, this will be fun." Like, you know, I'll randomly the first day I have this design out there, I'll I'll throw in one of these packs, you know, to whoever gets it because I include sort of loose cards in okay. all of my packages. All right. Um, but I had these three unopens and thought, oh, this will be fun. And so three people got one, and you you happen to be the one. I'm one of the three. That's awesome. Uh, so let's let's talk about collecting just for a moment. When you were we're about the same age, so growing up, were you a collector? Did you collect cards? Did you have baseball cards, football cards, all that fun stuff? Yeah, man, we had a ton. We had a uh, I, my my immediate family is pretty small, so I have I have two brothers, and then um, we didn't have any cousins for a long time. But we had an uncle who hadn't had children yet, and he was a huge, still is a huge collector, and so he got us into it. So man, we were we were in early on baseball cards, so it was full like the full long you know rectangle skinny set box of Fleers upper decks. I mean. Bowman's Bowman. Bowman yeah. I always, you know, never got the right pronunciation. <laughs> but then got into starting lineup figures. Um, we were getting into, you know, and then we also had a. Uh, my grandfather worked for a, a candy wholesaler, who, in his job, was to stock candy in a uh, in gas stations and mini marts and food stations. So during the summer, we would go stay with them and we would run his route with them in the morning. But as part of the promos, there were always these stand ups and advertisements. So, like, I had a seven-foot shack Pepsi stand-up in my room, you know, growing up that I got from him. So, 
we were in on, you know, basketball cards, and then it was, you know, wrestling figures. It was anything you could collect, we were stacking them up. So where, where, where did it all go? Did you just let it go in time? or when... No. we Well, some of it we let go. Some of it we passed down to kids. You know, between me and my two brothers, we divvied a bunch of it up. So it's it's uh, it's in storage, a lot of it, and things like that. It's, um, you know, as a, as a single guy, a lot of it hung. It hung on a lot of the walls, and then... Um, over time, less and less are on the walls, and it's more in my heart. But uh, we, we still got it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, as soon as I got married, I had to put that stuff away, right? You know, now I have this little corner of the of the of the house that I can have my little stuff in, which is fine. Yeah, I, I have what I need. But uh, you sound like you had a great uh, upbringing with with collecting, and that's really cool. It, now let's ask about the wrestling cards. Did you collect wrestling cards too, or did you pick these up later as you took on the persona of the wrestling pastor? No, the, uh, the the throwing the cards, and we did collect the cards kind of went by the wayside. We were more into the wrestling, like the, the figures, that original run of like WWF figures. Sure. Where every single figure had like one move. I remember Jake the Snake's arm, like you pulled it back and he would punch you in the face. Right, right. Um, and then we had the wrestling buddies and we had the ring. And, and so that was more of our collecting on that side. But what happened, the, the dropping the cards in, it, to be honest, as everything goes, it's just an idea I stole from someone else. There's oh. a guy... I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and so I'm a, I'm a Jaguar fan. And uh, there's a local guy who prints sort of one-off shirts and um, does, like, small runs. And so I bought a shirt from him trying to, you know, support local, and it was a cool shirt. And I opened it up, and when I pulled the shirt out, there was this single Keenan McCardell um, card from, from back in the day from the early 2000s. And I was just – I was so excited to get this random football <laughs> card. And I was like, oh, man, I could easily do that with my stuff. So I just periodically get on eBay, and I can find these stacks of – 150, 200, you know, wrestling cards, and then I throw two or three in with every package that somebody buys, and people, they, they seem to love it, because I, I tend to throw in, like, uh, a main eventer, a mid-card guy, and then just a jobber, and then oh, okay. everybody seems to love the jobber cards the most. So. <laughs> Those jobber cards are great. Uh, last week, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Joey Shiver, was up here with me in Dallas, and he's from your neck of the woods. He's from Georgia. He's from uh, Athens, Georgia. So he's up here with me, and we were at the Industry Summit but before the summit took off and started, he and I opened up a product called Leaf Buyback Wrestling. And what this was was basically your your 1987 tops uh, had, that had been autographed. Well, I'm sorry that other people had that had, and Leaf went out, bought them back, and then had them signed. And we're flipping through them, oh, wow. and we got Barry Barry Wyndham, which I loved, and we got Sid Vicious, which I loved. And then there was some guy named Outback Jack. I was like, I've never heard of this person. I've watched wrestling my whole life. What is this? Yeah. But evidently, he's just some jobber. And it, we were excited about that because we had never heard of him. It was awesome. I just want to know how, like, not only who had heard of him, how they found him, like, how they even got that autograph. <laughs> exactly. What is Outback Jack doing now that, that he's just randomly signing cards? It's ridiculous. Yeah, he's in an armory somewhere. Yes, yes. So your your products do you do you design your own shirts and your own uh, your own material? Yeah, I do. I do a little graphics on the side, um, and then so as I was doing that, I used to have this just this picture of Ric Flair as my avatar. Okay. And then I was messing around one day and um, was like, yeah, this should have a logo, and so put the logo together. And then people started asking. They were like, "That's great. I would wear that on a shirt." And I was like, "Okay." And so I I print them in small batches and put them out and. Then, uh, then all of a sudden, one day I was looking at the old WWF logo, and I was like, "Oh, if I just connect that F, that makes a perfect P. That's easy." Right. <laughs> so, it, uh, yeah. So that's just something I kind of do for fun. That's the one I went with. I, I love that one, but I do love your your original logo here, the wrestling pastor with the luchador mask. Um, 
Oh, were you a Lucha fan? Are you a Lucha fan? Uh, I, I, I liked the, you know, the Lucha doors. It was one of those things because growing up watching, you know, we watched a lot of WWF, but where we are in the Southeast, WWF always kind of passed us by and WCW always came to town. Sure. So a lot of my live show experience was going to Nitro's on Monday nights and, and stuff like that. My dad would take us down to the Coliseum and we would see it. And so that was right when cruiserweights were really taken off with mm-hmm. WCW. So you would get a lot of those guys coming through. And then just that was for so long when we were growing up, wrestling was just these huge bruisers who just sort of railed on people. And suddenly to see, now it's nothing. But back then to see a guy do a moonsault or you know, like right. jumping off the top rope, it was like the best thing as a 12-year-old that you'd ever see. It, um Right around that same time, same era of wrestling, actually, uh, if you're lucky enough to see ECW with you know Eddie Guerrero and, and Dean Malenko go at it, or Chris Jericho when he was in ECW or in WCW, and then the first time you ever see Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero go at it, your mind is blown as a wrestling fan. As an, as an American wrestling fan, I was not turned on to the Lucha style, and it was just blowing my mind that they were doing these moves and as athletic as they were. And what as a fat guy, they weren't winded. So I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just, you're so used to the the sort of the, the rhythm of, of a normal wrestling match in the early 90s. You had, you had these rest holds and, you know, taking breaks. And then these guys would just go for 12 minutes nonstop. And sure. it was like you had to catch your breath when the whole thing was, you were out of breath just watching. Exactly. Exactly. Now, who were who were some of your rest, your favorite wrestlers growing up uh, down down south there? I'm, I'm guessing a Jim, you're a Jim Crockett guy. Well, we were, like, I grew up, like, we started watching, so my whole exposure to wrestling started, we didn't go to a lot of live shows until we were a little bit older okay. when it started coming to town. So um, I was part of that blockbuster video generation. Oh, gotcha. Where, like, because we didn't have the big giant satellite dish, my parents weren't going to, you know, pay for pay-per-views or whatever, so, you know, every Friday my dad would take us to blockbuster. I feel bad there's a whole generation of kids who won't know like going to Blockbuster, walking the new release wall, trying to sure. hoping that the video you want is there. But like I always remembered at the very end of the new release wall, all the way at the bottom, was all the wrestling videos. And so we would get there and like we were desperate to find out like did they have SummerSlam yet? Did they have Survivor Series? And so we would just rent anything that they had and we were just watching them on repeat. So I grew up, it was kind of that golden era of like I really remember wrestling starting around like WrestleMania 5, 6, so like that big... Hogan Warrior run, sure. champion versus champion. Um, we were big Legion of Doom guys, Macho Man. Um, and then as we got into, you know, Ric Flair hit the scene, and then we were discovering all of that stuff and the Four Horsemen. And I always really liked Arn Anderson for some reason, how smug he was. Of and just, <laughs> You know, and it was just, you know, so those were those were some of our favorites. Um, Arn is, to this day, one of my favorite wrestlers. With that He's smug, but he's got that spine buster. It, I, I hate that he got injured the way he did, and, and his career ended yeah. so short. But, um, God, what a great wrestler. And he was just the perfect complement, I think, to, to 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 Tully and to Rick. I think he was the perfect complement to all of them because he made the whole thing click. And it just the way he, he and Tully wrestled together was amazing. And then he was, like you said, so smug. And then Rick was there on top of the four horsemen as the champion. And it was, it was perfect for me. I'm probably getting a little too sentimental and I might cry, but I'm trying not to. No, man. It was so good. And it was, you know, he was, he was smug, but he was also like just legit. He was just a mean dude. Yeah. And you yeah. knew 
he, he legitimized that whole faction where you had all these guys talking and there was flash and they were sneaky, but he could really just get in the ring and he could beat anybody on any day. Right. And he was the like that legit muscle. But you know, that's what made those stories work. I think with uh you know, he, he tagged with uh Ole for so long as well. And Ole he's part of that Minnesota wrecking crew and they they kinda of brought him in because he looked like one of those guys, but he he wasn't from Minnesota at all. He just controlled yeah. the ring. He was a ring master. <laughs> But that's wrestling. It's just yeah. you kind of look like this, so we're going to make, you know, there's there's nothing more cringeworthy now when you go back and you're like, it's Akeem, and they've got him in, you know, like there's so many things that just can't work now, and right. I'm going, man, what were we thinking in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you don't want to think too hard about it because you start to doubt yourself, but, yeah, there there was a lot of, there too long in wrestling, it was just kind of like, you sort of look like this, so we'll make you this nationality or this. Mm-hmm. This will be your gimmick, and so that was the creativity didn't always run super deep. It, it sure didn't. Uh, everybody had a character, and that's what Vince was happy with, and that's what happened. And uh, like you just mentioned, Akeem, come on, man, that dude's from South Africa. Okay, I got you, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, Who were some of your favorites, man, uh, other than Arn? Oh uh, well, I, and I loved. I, I just liked people who could talk. Like we, we loved uh, Million Dollar Man. I loved Mister Perfect, and Mister Perfect, and I didn't realize why I liked him as much. It's one of those uh, you didn't realize. So, for example, we loved the Ultimate Warrior, and you didn't realize how bad the Ultimate Warrior was mm-hmm. until you got older. Right. And then, like, even going back, one of the, the most terrifying things is to go back on YouTube and watch some of those old Warrior promos where it's just totally incoherent. We're sure. just going, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. But then there's some guys you get older and you go back and you're like, man, Mr. Perfect was so good. <laughs> yes. He, just, he made everyone look like a million dollars, and the way he would sell and just the attitude and when they would come out – and you're just, you know, you're just buying them. And he hates every single person in this room. And Rick Rude would come out and call everybody a bunch of sweat hogs and, right. you know, get that cheap heat of just basically going, everybody from this town is garbage. And just watching those guys. So th- that was kind of my favorite era, watching those guys talk. And then, and I just loved the time of when it was an actual, you spent six months watching the same story. Of you know, course. where it was every Saturday morning, and then it was happening on pay-per-views, and then it was rolling over, and then it wouldn't blow off for three or four months. Um, it, that, that's what sucked us in as kids. Yes, that I completely agree. It, it did suck you in as kids. And then, of course, you had the cartoon to go around, along with it that kind of followed the storyline sometimes. But those long storylines that were drawn out and then, then culminated, you know, six months later, like you say, at, at WrestleMania or at SummerSlam, the payoffs were huge, typically, and um, as a young wrestling fan, I was I was excited about that. But now, as I've gotten older and I look back, some of it was pure garbage too. I don't I don't know how to oh, say that yeah. nicely. Yeah, <laughs> they can't all be winners. <laughs> no, they sure they sure can't. So, do you watch the Do you watch the product now? Do you watch the WWE now, or like Ring of Honor, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I watch a little bit. I've got two sons, um, uh, ten and six, and so I'm slowly starting to get, you know introduce them to the product and sort of kind of picking and choosing um, what, what what they see and uh, you know try, trying to be you know somewhat of a responsible parent. So we'll uh, we'll get on YouTube and we'll kind of watch you know we'll sort of skip through and watch sort of the dad edit of uh, of it. And so they're picking their favorites and it's kind of sucked me back in a little bit to. Uh, you know, for them to be able to see those things and to see which ones they like. And I'm like, oh, man, I would have loved that guy as a kid, and I can see now as an adult why I would hate that guy now. And so, so, it's, it's funny to be able to look at it from both sides. So who do, you, who do your kids go with? Um, well, oh, for, so, and here's an issue. So my, uh, I have three children. All right. 
14, 10, and 6. My oldest two kids are adopted. They're from the Congo in Africa. Awesome. And uh, when we went and got them and brought them back, um, they didn't speak English, but my my old, my old son, he knew a couple of English words, and we were playing in the house. We'd only been home for about three days after we'd gotten back from the Congo, and he we were kind of rolling around on the floor and playing, and he jumped up, and I'm trying to paint a picture with words. He, like, jumped up into a squatted position, and then he just he waved his hand in front of his face. Oh, and okay. Went, Whoa. <laughs> I was like, what? And he, and he said in this, like, broken English, he said, John Cena. And I was like, holy moly. And then it made sense because when we were over there, the two people that everyone over there asked me about when they realized, you know, obviously I was from the States, they wanted to know about LeBron James and John Cena. That's it. <laughs> and they were, and, and, and I'm talking equals in their minds. Like, these guys are, are on par with each other. And it was in that moment I realized how big, you know, not, you know, American sports, but even as far as the wrestling thing goes, because they're showing Raw on their, their national broadcast. You know, wow. it's getting played over there internationally. So, you know, so it's all the sort of superhero figures there. John Cena, Roman Reigns. Um, it's, you know, it's good guys, which that's what you want. You want your kid rooting for good guys. Sure. My son is, he, my, my oldest son is, uh, he'll be turning eight in just a few weeks. And he's all over that John Cena uh, character. <laughs> I can't stand it personally. I'm like, son, but let me show you these people who really know how to wrestle. They don't have these five <laughs> moons of doom. And these are really good. Like, I, like I want to show him old Shawn Michaels tapes and old, you know, old Bret Hart video and stuff like that. But he, he doesn't want any part of that. He wants the, nah, he the, wants, the fruity he wants pebbles. Superheroes, yeah. man. That's what kids like. Exactly. Man, it's, uh, it's kind of heartbreaking actually, because I grew up here in, in Dallas and we had the WCCW and, you know, we lived on the Von Erichs every Friday and Saturday night. So I try to show them that old, that old stuff, that old footage on the network, and it's almost impossible because it's it's grainy, it's hard to watch, it's chopped up. And I'm like, but son, this was so great when this was happening, and he just he just doesn't care. It's yeah, it's, they, <laughs> HD has ruined them. They don't they don't understand what it's like to have a, a v, VHS tape that won't track right. You know, <laughs> if you're trying to, exactly trying to get it all figured out. Exactly. So where did you get creative and started to take these gifts and 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 putting little messages behind them? How how did that come about? Well, so I'm a I'm a pastor by day, yes, and uh, and so um, and I have always you know on social media, and, and I use that as an outlet for for ministry and things like that. But also like a good joke, and so that's primarily why I'm on Twitter is to you know, Twitter a lot of times can be a big waste of time, but there's a lot of times it can just be a legitimate good laugh. And and when they started to where you could put you know gifs or gifs or whatever uh in there and you could just embed them straight from your phone and then all of a sudden those jokes sort of started emerging sort of the the memification of twitter i guess you could say where it's that moment when or sure or everybody knows that guy who does this and then it had it attached so i sort of picked up on that and enjoyed it and i uh, i just loved wrestling gifs they were so easy and then i started finding that I was using them a lot, but then the biggest response I would get, because obviously a lot of my followers and people are in church life and, and, you know, other ministers that I know, the biggest response I would get would be to ones like to ministry and things like that. That would get a a few more likes or retweets or whatever than the others. And then I was doing it so much, just one day I was like, I've got to stop doing this on my main feed. This is going to, I've got so many people who probably could care less about this. Sure. And I was like, I could just, this could just be its own thing and I'll just do this occasionally. So I started the account. I just typed in wrestling pastor and it wasn't taken and, um, you know, started, you know, once a day putting up a, you know, a, a little post. And, and so kind of the genesis of it is 
and, and it doesn't just apply to pastors, and this is why I think it resonates with people, I think, is in in wrestling, if somebody pops off, you just body slam them, you know. But sure. in real life, you can't do that. In right. every job, even in, in church life, there are people going to ask you ridiculous questions, um, you know, have bad, you know, dumb expectations, you know, do ridiculous things that you want to just clean their clock or clothesline them or, like, you just kind of want to empty empty out that aggression, but you can't do it. You've got to be gracious and, and merciful and patient, and, you know, we all can't have a work environment like that, so you just, you know, you learn how to act like an adult. But it's kind of this, well, what if I could? And so that's what the account became is, this is what I would like to do to you. And so it's like, I'm not going to do it, but I would love to do this to you. And so then I started putting those up, and then it just started to snowball, man. People, and, and how it's grown is, like, I haven't, you know, I don't buy followers or anything like that. And I don't even have a huge following, but it's every single day some pastor will tag another guy or somebody will see it and tag their friend and go, this just happened to us on Sunday, or we just dealt with this last week. And um, so it just kind of picks up that way, you know, over time. I was going to ask you, how do your how do your friends in ministry feel about it? I, I think it's hilarious, but I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor or a preacher or anything like that. Oh, I'm not, they, <laughs> I get, I get texts. I get DMS from guys. I don't know, you know, who follow the account. And they're like, thank you so much. This is the laugh I needed today. Thank you so much. You know, a lot of times guys going like, man, I thought I was the only one dealing with this nonsense. And I'm like, no, this, stuff, this stuff is universal, man. We're all, we're all dealing with this, whether it's at church or at, you know, like at your secular job or, you know, at school, you know, even your own family, like this is the same kind of, you know, so I just kind of look at life and go, what's the obvious thing here that everybody's dealing with? And, then it kind of writes itself from there. Of course. And you're very witty. I, that, I think that's what I love about it most is, uh, one, I'm connecting with with the wrestlers, and then, two, your your wit is – you're very quick-witted, and it's it's funny. I, I think you've, you've done a fabulous job with this. Fabulous. Oh, man, well, that's, that's really kind of – I'm just – I can't believe that people get a kick out of it, and that's what's been so funny. Is I, I, I would have sworn to you when I started, I was like, 20 of my friends will like this and I'll just do this for fun sometimes, and it'll be basically like a group text on Twitter. Sure. Um, and that it's turned into what it has. The, the fact that I'm talking to you makes no sense to me. Um, <laughs> and so that, and so it's just one of those I'm just kind of enjoying the ride while people are getting a kick out of it, and, you know, hopefully it's a good time. It, it is one of those things, too, where there's just so much nastiness on Twitter where it's just constantly people – it's one of those where I'm like, what can I do that's the most just sort of basic fun? There's no reason to be mad at this. This mm-hmm. can just be a good time sort of space. And uh, so that's what I'm trying to accomplish. You've done a great job. So I'm flipping through your, your, your Twitter feed here, and I'm, I'm scrolling down. And about a month ago, February 15th, my office assistants, you got two Funko Pops. You got an Undertaker and a Ultimate Warrior. Are you, do you collect Funkos too? Do you have some Funkos? I got yeah. Well, I've got a couple, and so like I, I sort of pick those up as we go. We've got a couple spots in town that sell them secondhand and stuff like that, and so I tend to just. It's one of those if I see one, you know, the older guys that I like, I'll grab it and put it in the office, and it's not one of those things where I'm just sort of obsessively buying things. That yeah, right. <laughs> I don't need, but if there's one that strikes a chord and it's you know, like less than ten bucks, I'm gonna grab it. The other day, I ran a. Uh, it was Texas Independence Day on Friday, and I ran a poll. Uh, who's the Who's the best athlete from from Texas? And I and I sure I understand it's all it's all 
conjecture and speculation. I don't think there's a real right answer to that question. But number one on my list was The Undertaker. And I got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback that The Undertaker wasn't an athlete. I'm like, excuse me? That man is an athlete. Pure, pure through and through he's an athlete. I don't see how you can't say that. So to see him. Yeah, that's the one thing. And then growing up, we all get super defensive. Or people are like, wrestling's fake. And, and there's there's no coherent wrestling fan that's not going to tell you, of course it's scripted. Right. Like, we, we obviously know it's scripted. We're not we're not dense. Sure. But to say it's fake, anybody that's ever, like, I, I had a chance once I was inside of a ring, and, like, it's not padded. Like, what these guys are doing, the bumps that they're taking, and the thing, like, when you get inside of a ring and you realize, oh, so that guy jumped from here over those ropes into those people, controlled mm-hmm. his body, and landed there. Like, there's just no way you can do that stuff and not be an athlete. Right. Like, you just, and even if they don't always look like one, they've got the ability to do it. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm still in awe when, when I turn on WWE now or more, more recently ring of honor or something like that. And I see this stuff. It's, it's just amazing. Let's talk about your Jaguars fandom because, uh, uh, it's, it's probably been a tough decade for you, but you guys had a great season. Uh, how, how are you feeling coming in into the off season, into the next season? What, what do you, what do you think? Um, we feel pretty good about it. The, you know, we're not. It, they they made the right cuts at the end. Well, going into last season, it's one of these things where you just you keep banking all of these top ten picks, and you hope it finally all comes together. And so we had this. I think what was so tough, even in the last three four years, is they had all the potential, um, and it just wasn't materializing on the field. And then all of a sudden, Tom Coughlin got back in the building, and I don't know what it is about that guy, but when he shows up at a place. Man, they start winning, and whether it's as a coach or you know VP of operations like he is here, but he brought a culture back into the building where it wasn't about getting better or improving. It was like, now nah, we're going to win. And then when they brought in, and then they just hit a home run free agency. So with Calais and um, you know Bouye and Barry Church and Jalen Ra- Jalen Ramsey is our favorite human on earth in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that defense, it, all of a sudden you had this nasty, mean defense that reminded us of Jaguar teams from the early 2000s, the last time that they were good. And then all of a sudden the offense started putting together. So going into this season, it's been weird to go, okay, we don't have a million holes to fill. It's like we can draft for depth. And then, you know, they were they were in between a rock and a hard place with Blake. It was, you know, a lot of people gave them grief about that extension, but I don't I don't really know what else they were going to do. They didn't have the cap space to sign somebody like Cousins or anyone like that. And he played well. And honestly, anybody here at Jacksonville would tell you they lost that New England game because they didn't let him play. Sure. You know, they he, they turned him loose in the first half, and he played great. And then they got they got scared, and they, they puckered a little bit and, and took their foot off the gas and, and didn't, you know, you – you just gotta let the dude play. So I'll be interested to see if, if they can if they can put that together and roll it over. They've got as good a shot as anybody, you know, to roll through and make another run at it. Now, are you a season ticket holder? No, because of what I do on Sundays. Yeah, you know, like I'm, a, you know, I'm a at church bit. on Sundays, and we're not far away. So, so it does work out like, you know, one o'clock games and stuff like that. So we go. You know, I try to go a couple times. You know, a few times a year, and then. You know, every Sunday I'm on the couch with my boys, you know. It, well, for a while it was just 1 o'clock games because we were so bad. We weren't getting any primetime games. <laughs> um, but, no, I was I was in the building, you know, for the Buffalo game. You know, me and my brothers were there. And um, so through that whole run. And so, yeah, we're – and it's – man, it's, it's such an underrated town and team. And 
it was just fun for people to for them not to be a joke anymore and for people to kind of see you know what it could be I, you know i feel stupid now that i asked that question as soon as it came off my lips i'm like he's a pastor that's not it's not going to work. It's not. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but we do try to get there, and uh, so, but it's uh, we have to kind of pick and choose our spots. So, who was your team before Jacksonville got there? Um, you know, it was one of those. I grew, you know, my uncle that I told you about. He mm-hmm. was a big Cowboys fan. He had he had lived out there some, and so we kind of followed here here locally. College football was kind of king. Okay. So I really I, I dove headlong into the NFL as you know, sort of a, a freshman in high school. Um, when the team showed up, it was suddenly like we had an NFL team, they were here, and then I went all in, and it's just kind of been Jags ever since. So before that, it was like, you know, the Gators ruled ruled this area. They were the professional team here. Um, and so there was no basketball. Everybody was a Braves fan because of TBS. And so it was – you didn't – we didn't really have anything that was ours. And so when they came, it was just we were all in on that in a way we weren't with anything else. Makes makes sense. Um you're right there in the middle of college football, the Garden of Eden, right there. So I mean, that's uh, that's probably a bad reference, actually. But college football is huge <laughs> down there in the in the south, uh, in the southeast there. So uh, I would, I'm I'm a huge college football fan myself. So I, what I'm getting at was, you were just in the promised land, and then you got the NFL, and and just translate translates well. All right, man, I, I'm up against it. I got to get uh, get back to work. But before I do that, please, please, please let our listeners know where they can find you on social media, where they can order a T-shirt, and a, uh, plug your plug your church too because, you know, there's people out there that that need God. So um, if they if I can direct them, help direct them to you and you can help direct them to him, more power to us. I'm in. Well, yeah, if you're in Jacksonville, Florida, come by North Jacks. Uh, that's uh, we're over where you can find us. We're over by the zoo. We're on the north side of town. And uh, and then, but as far as you know, social media, you can find me. I, I have a the, the main deal is on Twitter. You can find, just search Wrestling Pastor, and you'll see that Luchador mask pop up. Um, WrestlingPastor.com. Um, you can get you know shirts and stuff like that. I've got I've got a few things in the works. We'll have coming in a little bit. A couple new designs and colors and stuff like that. And then it is on Facebook. I'm not on there very regularly. Uh, I find that the people on Facebook don't get it as well. You know, it's kind of they they don't get the joke. So sure. I, I, I occasionally post over there. Uh, but yeah, the, the fun happens on Twitter. So if people want to come follow. Um, they can come join us and have a good time. And then occasionally, you probably saw this. We do stuff like it's not just those. We'll Last night I ran a thing where it was trying to get people to post their favorite wrestling memory, and then mm-hmm. we had a big hit a couple about a week ago on President's Day a couple weeks ago. Um, it was like, "What's your Mount Rushmore of wrestlers? Your favorite? It's not even the best." And so, man, it got like a hundred some odd comments of just people posting their stuff. So we, it, it's it's a fun kind of hang when people want to do it. Oh, I gotta, I, I missed that one. Where was I? I was doing something on President's Day, but I missed that one. Now I feel bad, but I'm gonna run the same thing. Well, I'm, it's I'm gonna steal you can it always from you. Go back and in, in in retrospect, post your comment. It's fine. I, I will totally do that. Um, all right, man. Thanks for hanging out today. This was a lot of fun. Uh, you made the run in, and that was and that was amazing. Thanks for the save. Uh, my my co-host is out today, so you were a perfect substitution in the tag team corner, and I really appreciate it. Man, it was a blast, and uh, like I said, I'm really enjoying the podcast and what you guys are doing, and uh, man, thanks for having me. All right, thanks, buddy. We'll talk again soon, okay? All right, later, man. Right. This is Hotshot Danny Duggan, the team of Jack and Fanny Pack. You are listening to the Fat Pack Podcast. 
All right, guys, we're back after that quick break, and this is a time that we've all been waiting for, especially our boss, Brian Fleischer. He is the, the biggest Sporkful fan that I know of, and he his little his little uh, foodie head is uh, popping popping out, but this it's not for foodies. We're for eaters here. So Dan Pashman joining us on the podcast. What's up, Dan? How are you doing? Good. How are you, Eric? Thanks for having me. Man, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, and that's not that's not a lie. My my direct manager, his name's his name is Brian. He has been going crazy about this all week. He won't stop talking about it. So, uh, well, I, I'm I'm happy to be a part of you kissing up to your boss. <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, and, <laughs> and thank you for recognizing those skills. Those are those are uh, kind of tough to come by sometimes. No, but. totally. I, I, I in the high school yearbook, I won teacher's pet, and so I completely understand uh, where you're coming from. It's an important skill in life. It is an important skill. <laughs> uh, it's it's how we all make it through life. But let's talk about uh, let's, yeah. let's talk about why you're here. Um. Obviously, your podcast is amazing, but we're going to talk sports before we get into that. We are yeah. a collectible show, and my my friend John Finkel told me that you are a huge, huge sports fan, and we were just talking off air. It turns out you're a huge Cubs fan. How'd that happen? Yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, in the same town as John, actually, uh, as a Yankees fan, and I still like the Yankees, but... Um you know, I sort of came of age in the late 90s when the Yankees kept winning one World Series after the next. And then I moved to Chicago within walking distance of Wrigley Field and started, I figured I'll adopt the Cubs as my National League team. I started going to more and more Cubs games. And this was before the Cubs had won anything. And, um, you know, coming from the Yankees culture where uh, anything short of a World Series victory is failure. And then coming to a going to a Cubs culture where making the playoffs is a reason to literally shut down the streets around the ballpark and dance and sing in the streets. Um, it's just such a different mentality. And I realized, I had this sort of realization that like a lot of being a sports fan is about expectations. And the most memorable moments as a sports fan are that times when your team exceeds expectations when it surprises you or does something you didn't think was possible and if you if, if the goal or the expectation at the beginning of every season is that we're going to do the best possible thing we can do which is win the world series then you never get that feeling of like oh my god i can't believe this happened <laughs> um you know, and and when you're a Cubs fan, you get that almost every time they win. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, I really got sucked into that culture, the Cubs fan culture. And um, again, nothing against the Yankees; I'll still pull for them when they're on. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, adopted the Cubs wholeheartedly and moved back to New York and was at a Cubs bar in the city for Game Seven last year. Uh, until the wee hours of the morning, and uh, it was a lot of fun, very memorable. It's uh, I, as I'm not a Cubs guy, but I remember WGN and the day games on uh, on WGN here in the South, and they they've never really been my team, but the, the, I've kind of quietly been a closet Cubs fan because I remember watching them so much growing up. Because I would skip school, or you know, my mom didn't hear that; she doesn't listen to this anyways. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd skip school or whatever, and come home, and they'd be on WGN and. There I am watching the Cubs, so uh, I can completely empathize with your uh, Cubs affiliation there. Chicago's a great city, too, man. Um, great places to eat. What, oh, yeah. What's your, best, what's your favorite place to eat in Chicago? Oh, my gosh. I mean, favorite place to eat in Chicago. Don't say Giordano's. I, I don't like that place. No, I'm not a big fan of Giordano's. Uh, if I was going to go deep dish pizza, I like a place called Bacino's. Okay. Um, that I think is really delicious. 
I know that, like, you know, most Chicago natives kind of frown on deep dish pizza. They think it's like a tourist thing, but right. I think that it's really delicious. <laughs> uh, and, and, and there's also arguments over whether or not it should be considered pizza. There's the New York contingent doesn't think it should be called pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I love a good Italian beef dipped mm. in the juice. I mean, mm. that's just like you can't ever go wrong with that. Um, I love, like, there's great Polish food in Chicago. Like, there's a place called Podolanka that has, like, just the most hardcore, authentic Polish food dumplings. I love the dumplings with Maggie sauce on them. That was actually the first time I ever had Maggie sauce, which I talk about on the Sporkful podcast. I love Maggie sauce. you got to get the one from Europe that has the MSG in it because right. it's way better. Right. And that first time I ever had that was at Podolanka in Chicago. And so a lot of good food there. Very nice. Um we we always end up at the Rosemont Center, which is you know in Rosedale. Obviously, it's not quite Chicago, and then but right across the street is Gibson's, and that's one of the best steakhouses. I really enjoy that place a lot because you can get a a prime rib sandwich for eleven ninety nine. I think that's a great great deal. Right, that, that is yeah, that, that's a lot less than what it costs at Yankee Stadium. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, did you collect cards as as a kid growing up? Or oh you, yeah, you know, oh yeah, big time. So, I was like obsessed with it. So that that's what we're all about here at, at the Fat Packs podcast. What do you remember the first pack of cards you ever bought? Ah, uh, the first pack. That's I a, don't know. I remember literally the first pack. I, I can definitely like if you showed me the different tops cards, I could still to this day tell you the year based on the design. I could picture the '86 cards with the mm-hmm. black top and the the team names written. Those sort of like you know. Um, uh, like triangular fonts, and then there was the 87 tops with the wooden background. Right. You know, uh, the 85 had the name in the rectangle at the bottom, and I was, like, just getting into it in 85, I would say. Like, uh, 84 was, you know, was the white background with the vertical na- sure. uh, team name, and those I didn't have that many of because it was a little before my time. Like, my at 85, I started to get into it, and then I would say my most obsessive years of baseball collect- card collecting were, like, 86 through 90, probably. Um, but I had the binders and I would sort them and I got my Beckett, you know, uh, uh, price guide. And I would, you know, once a car was worth a dollar or more, that's when it gained special status for me. That's when it would get to go in a plastic envelope, you know, and I would have a little like, um, adhesive label sticker to put on the thing that would write the price on. And then periodically I would go through all the cards and update the values of all of them. And I had my hard plastic cases for, the most cherished cards, like the Ricky Henderson rookie card, of course, um, or or whatever it was, and those were in the hard plastic. And then, as I got more into collecting and saved up some money, and I had a uh, a batch of I don't know, probably uh, ten cards that I had saved up to buy that were like fifty dollar cards, like a a, a Carl Yastrzemski card or something like from someone who was before my time. Um, and I had the special super, super thick plastic cases for those with the, the ones with the screws in them. that actually screw the card in. Yes, sir. We, um, we don't like those here. Those, those were run cards. You, we, will they? Oh, we, see, we didn't know that now. You told me that. We didn't I, know I, that I, I do. I'm going to go up to my attic now and, and uh, undo them all. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> we, we were actually joking uh, before, like, last week, before we got this all locked down. I said, we should start a series called You're Collecting It Wrong and yeah. <laughs> and do things like don't put cards in screw downs. <laughs> okay. What, what, why? It like flattens the edges or something? So what happens is um, typically, I'll give you a good example. The 1993 uh, Jeter SP card, uh, that's his most expensive rookie card. Um, if you were to put that in a screw down in 93 and try to take that card out today, 
it would rip the front of the car directly off because of the, oh. of the foil. So it's, it, it does horrible things to the cards, and we don't like them around here. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm going to go up to my attic when I get home. I'm going to go rescue my, uh, what did I got? I can't I gotta remember. I think I got a Hank Aaron up there. Okay. All right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, but yeah, I, mean, I, I was never that. I, I never went as far as to be one of those kids who like went to the shows to sell my cards. I was never like that into the business of it. But I definitely was a pretty obsessive collector. It's uh, there are, there are many different levels here, uh, <laughs> and it's somewhere in between what you just described—an obsessive collector, or the you know the the kid that went and sold his cards, or went to go find cards, or the guy that did it nonchalantly. Most typically, when and this is a running theme here on on the fat packs, is when typically when a guy gets out of collecting, it's because a girl. So I'm going to ask you, when you got out of collecting, was it because a girl? No, no, no okay, it was not. all right. I, I, I was out of collecting. I don't know whether this is a statement on uh, on the fact on how young I was. Uh, when I decided, when I lost my interest in collecting, or how old I was when there was a woman in my life who actually cared. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but one or the other, I mean, you know, once I got into high school, I would say my, I, I still collected, but not as passionately. And by the time I was in college, I wasn't really still collecting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly can still remember that uh, that feeling of, Especially like when you would get a whole box, like that was just like the best. Sure. To get to get a box of cards and just sit there and open up one pack after another after another and sort them and organize them and, um, you know, just like such you know getting a great card is just uh, such a special feeling. So, I remember I remember that and I had my Fleer and I had I remember when Upper Deck was created. I remember that Ken Griffey Jr. card number one Upper Deck. You know, like uh, those were definitely all. Formative collector moments. Yes, sir. Um, you've you've hit on all of my childhood memories as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. We're the same age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very nice. So, uh, for those who who don't know who are listening, you are wildly pop, wildly pop, popular for the Sporkful podcast. Uh, you have uh, you're, you're eating it wrong, which we absolutely love. And then you were on NPR for quite a while as well. Um, how did you get your start in in radio, and then turn that into uh, into the cooking channel? Yeah, I mean, I always loved listening to the radio. I loved like morning radio comedy shows when I was a kid. Um, and somewhere in college, I, I just sort of decided. Uh, I started off kind of a, a, on a lark. I I won a prize basically in college where I got four hours uh on the, on the college on the local radio station to do with as i pleased and that was really fun i was like wow being on the radio is fun and uh and so that was sort of the first inkling and then my senior year of college i had signed up for internship in politics and this was before the internet was that that evolved so to <laughs> find an internship you had to go to an office on the campus and go through binders that had actual pieces of paper explaining the different internships okay you know like like the stone ages and I, I still remember sitting in the office, and I'm going through the booklet of internships in politics, and it's like all these very low level, all this very low level work for different local politicians, and I'm reading them, and I'm like, this just really all sounds super boring. Uh, and then I look on the shelf, and I see internships in communications. So I pull that binder down, and it's like intern at this radio show, intern at that radio show, and I was like, this is what I want to be doing. So I changed courses. I said, forget, cancel internship in politics. I'm doing internship in communications. And I started interning at a radio show there in Boston. And um, 
you know, just got just really fell in love with it. And I just said, this is what I want to do. I want to be on the radio. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a, a bit of a winding path. I did other jobs in media. I wrote for some small newspapers and, you know, hopped around. But, um, you know, eventually I, I got a job at a place called Air America Radio, which was a progressive talk radio network. I helped launch that. I was with, like, Mark Marin and Al Franken and Rachel Maddow. Uh, and from there to NPR and eventually – um, a bunch of shows I worked on got canceled. They kept everything I worked on kept getting canceled, which is typical in media, but especially typical when I was coming of age because there were so many re- recessions and the internet was throwing everything for a loop. So it was very tumultuous. And I finally it was like I'm tired of getting laid off. Friends of mine are starting podcasts, and I figured if I have my own podcast, at least no one can cancel it but me. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it will be successful, but at least I know that it will end on my own terms. Sure. Sure, that, that's and important. And so I, so that's what I did, and it was a side project. I mean, this was eight over eight years ago now, way before the podcasting boom. So it was a side project that I did essentially out of my living room with help from friends for years. Um, but over time, it led to some web videos for Slate, which led to Cooking Channel. It led to a book deal. It led to the, the podcast getting picked up in public radio. And now I'm at a company called Stitcher, which also makes the Stitcher app, and they've been really great to work with and them. Uh, I'll continue to be great to work with, and um, and so it's just it's evolved into a job. You know, when I tell the story that way, it sounds kind of like this miraculous thing. You know, it was eight. It's been eight and a half years, so it was a lot of hard work and a lot of a lot of sleepless nights. But um, but it's pretty exciting that it's it's working out as well as it is now. It's a it's a great show. Uh, I highly encourage everybody to go check it out, especially if you're Thank you. if you're a food guy. We're we're not called the Fat Packs for anything around here. Obviously, it's a <laughs> it's a play on words, but we love our food and uh, I really enjoy it. You mentioned a name. You you said Mark Marin. Did you work directly with Mark? Yeah, yeah. I, I produced his morning show. Uh, it's called Morning Sedition. Brendan McDonald, who's still his producer, me and Brendan produced Mark's uh, Marin's show, and uh, you know, so that's why I've had Marin on the Sporkful a couple times. He's had me on WTF a number of times, mm-hmm. kind of like as a, a fun, yeah, uh, like his buddy coming to hang out for a little bit before he gets to the main guest. Sure, um, sure. So yeah, yeah, we had a lot of fun together. We used to, it was a morning show, so we had to get to work at like three o'clock in the morning. So. Uh, when you're getting to work at three o'clock in the morning, you have to have fun with the people you're working with, yes. or you will not last long. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, WTF uh, is the just uh, if I if you will the OG of all podcasting. It is it is a, a great show. I've been listening to it for years, and Mark Marin is he just has his finger on the button. And it's it's like him and Corolla. They know what they're doing with the stuff. So uh, my question about Marin is he as miserable as he appears to be. Uh, during his stand-up, because sometimes those things are pretty melancholy. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't think it's an act with okay. Mark. Okay. Um, I think that he is who. He, I mean, I, look, I think that he. You know, I think it's an interesting thing for any performer. You, you start off. It's funny. In, early in your career, you start off trying to say, "Well, like, who am I?" And how do I tap into my true nature and the person I, I really am in order to create some kind of a performance that feels authentic? Because in order for your performance to feel authentic, it has to be connected to a part of, of yourself. So you start off saying, what, what, is the, what, what is the authentic me and how do I tap into that? And then if you're lucky enough to do it for long enough, and do it successfully, people come to know that piece of your, but, but typically, like, 
that part of you that you tap into yourself that's authentic, that you translate into performance, is only one part of who you are. It is truly, it's true to you, but it's one part of you that sure. translates well into a performance. And so you, 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 you find a way to tap into that part of yourself to create this performance, and over time you become known for that style of performance. And then the thing flips on its head, and then instead of you having to tap into your authentic self to create this persona, it's that there's an expectation that you're going to be this way, and you can kind of get a little bit lost in terms of like, well, wait, is this still who I am, or am I playing a character based on myself? Am I really like, or, or am, am I trying too hard to be the person that people expect me to be as opposed to who I really am now? And it can be very difficult because some performers who end up, I think, losing a lot of their magic are the ones who become known for a specific style or or shtick and then they feel like they have to keep delivering that over and over again and it gets old i follow Um, what you're saying that makes a lot of sense or or others will will get so turned off by the persona they create that they go so far in another direction that then it feels phony uh because they're not it's not connected to their real selves at all in mark's case i think he has always prided himself on being authentic and on tapping into something that's authentically his um, and I think that for the most part, it's real. I mean, I think he understands that, I think he's smart enough to understand that, that there's a part of his personality that connects with people. And so he, he's smart enough to know that he needs to deliver that. But I think it's still really him. Um, makes sense. I'm, and, I, I wasn't, I'm sorry. I, and that question probably came off a little weird. Um, no, I, no, no, I love I, Mark. So, I think he's great. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, but like, but, but I think the most people who love him, part of the reason why they love him and why we all respect his work so much and connect with him is that he um, is very vulnerable in his work and he yes. shows a side of himself that can be very, that can be dark at times. Like yeah. he, you know, has a dark side to him. And so it's a natural question to ask is like, is that an actor? Is that really how he is? Um, and I think Mark's a very, you know, I, I, I don't, I think it's been, it's been cool to see Mark emerge as an actor in recent years because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 10 years ago I might've said, I don't know if he, how good of an actor he would be, because he can't help but be himself. Sure. Um, but uh, but it's been exciting to see that clearly he is a really good actor. Right. Um, so, but yeah, no, Mark uh, Mark's a really good guy, and um, you know, in spite of his his own personal struggles, like he's always been a good friend. And um, you know, I, I love hanging out and talking food with him. You know, we. we he loves to eat and then feel bad about himself after eating it, after eating whatever it is that we ate together. Um, you know, and, and we do a lot of that stuff on the Sporkful podcast. We have comics on all the time. Uh, we, you know, it's like our motto, like you said, our motto is it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. So if you're, you know, I don't, I'm not someone who cares about the cool chefs or the fancy restaurants at all. I more just love to eat and wanted to do a podcast about that. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's good whether we have Mark or someone else, it's usually a good time. Awesome. Um, Let's get back to the food. You, yeah. <laughs> you, you can you can answer you can solve a problem for us, and uh, you don't know this, but you actually created this problem here in the office. So I'm just going to ask you flat out: Is a hot dog a sandwich? I mean, I'm on record here, yeah. Eric, as you know. Yeah. Uh, I believe that a hot dog is a sandwich. I have identified a two-part test to determine whether any food is a sandwich. And I and I, I take as my inspiration the Earl of Sandwich. You know, why was the sandwich created? It was created because the Earl of Sandwich wanted to be able to pick up his dinner and eat it with his hands. Right. And back then, dinner was like a giant hunk of meat, and you'd have a fork and a knife, and there'd be some bread on the side. 
And he said, you know, if I just put this meat between these two pieces of bread, then I can pick it up and eat it with my hands, and I can walk around, and I can, uh, you know, depending on who you believe, he either had a gambling addiction or he was running the Royal Navy. It's unclear, but the point is he was a busy man, and he needed to eat. You know, he didn't want to sit at the table to eat anymore. And so the first rule to me of, of the definition of a sandwich is that you have to be able to pick it up and eat it with your hands without your hands touching the fillings. Yes. Now, if it's a little bit messy, uh, you know, like it could be a, it can be a poorly made sandwich and still be a sandwich. Or it could be a messy sandwich and still be a sandwich. But the intent and the basic goal has to be you can pick it up and eat it without your hands touching the fillings. And then the second is that the fillings must be sandwiched. Yes. They must, they must be sandwiched between two discrete food items. They don't have to be bread. It doesn't have to be bread. Um, but for this reason, I believe that an open-faced sandwich is not a sandwich. Um, the reason why I think a hot dog is a sandwich, um, clearly you can pick it up and eat it without your hands touching the fillings. Um, and clearly the, I think the hot dog is sandwiched. Now, the only gray area is, is a hot dog bun two discrete pieces of of encasement mm-hmm. and i believe that the hinge shaped hinge shaped bun counts because like think about a meatball sub on a on a hinge shape a hinged bun uh, a v-shaped bun and a meatball sub that's a sandwich no one's gonna you know try to tell me that a meatball sub is not a sandwich right right so if you take out the meatballs and put in a hot dog how is that not a sandwich i think that the hinged bun counts because if you sever the hinge it you know to to make it two separate pieces of bread, um, it's still fundamentally a hot dog. It still basically holds together. It might get a little messy, but you ha- you still have a hot dog. If you take a taco and sever the hinge on a taco, it ceases to be a taco. Yeah, and that is why a taco is not a sandwich. It it ceases. Uh, it, it will disintegrate. And so I believe that a hot dog is a sandwich for those reasons. I. 100% completely agree with you. And if you break the hinge Thank on a taco, you. it just becomes a tostada. So it's still delicious. Right, right. <laughs> and, and my definition is not commenting on, on the quality of the food. You know, that's one of the things exactly. I get upset about. Like I've said that like a burrito is a wrap and people who love burritos get upset because they think of like crappy American sandwich wraps, like a turkey and cheddar wrap that you get at the airport. And they're sure. like, that's, that's bad and burritos are good. So don't insult burritos by calling them wraps. And it's like I'm not insulting them. I'm, I'm just talking about structure. It's not about ingredients. Like, yes, most burritos are better than most American sandwich wraps, no question. But um, but that doesn't mean that they're not all wraps at the end of the day. That's uh, We agree. We're on the same page. We're on the same good, page. Good, good. I'm uh, glad. Um, let me ask you this. What's been – do you just sit around and and like think of this crazy stuff because you you, you have the sandwich you have uh, the popcorn buttering how to p- butter popcorn properly are you just are you a mad scientist in disguise? I mean I I I do have a generally sort of obsessive personality like I'm always trying to look for ways to improve things so I'm always seeing problems in different things and like oh it would be better if it worked this way. Um, you know, so so that is definitely part of my personality, and a lot of these ideas are things that, you know, <laughs> friends of mine <laughs> long ago got tired of hearing me rant about, uh, you know, the best way to eat this or that food or the problem with this or that. They're like, they can't believe that I turned this into a job, you know. <laughs> sure. This is when I tell my wife what I do, she's like, you're going to have to get a real job one day. You know? Right, <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's fun to to watch you work, man. Uh, we we enjoy you in in my home, and it's been a real pleasure having you on here. Uh, before I let you go, though, I want to ask you about one of your uh, more recent episodes 
of um, Sporkful was we're big Star Wars fans here. So you had a how to use the force to stir risotto. That was a great episode. Thanks. Um, big, big, big Star Wars guys around here. Uh, it sounded like you, the whole panel there that you had on the show was all Star Wars people. How do you get so intricate? Of coming up with the good guys, the, only the good guys eat food in Star Wars, and none of the bad guys do. And then there's the whole job of the hot job of the hut frog thing. But I mean, where do you guys come up with that? Yeah, that, I, I I think that actually popped into my head while we were in the middle of conversation. Yeah, I don't know that I had even planned. Oh no, maybe maybe I thought of that beforehand. It's just a matter of like, you know, before I tape any show or tape an interview, I, I, I like to try to I'll, I'll engage with the related work, whether it's someone's book or their uh, a movie or a, or a song or food or whatever it is. I always want to try to engage with it. But then I also try to, like, spend time kind of just reflecting. You know, like I like to have time before taping to just kind of daydream on the subject and um, put on my headphones and stare into space for a half an hour. <laughs> sure, sure. And, you know, it's important to have that time. And, and when you think about it, you know, like, like I started just thinking, like, how is food used in Star Wars? And, you know, is there a pattern? That's what I started thinking. Like, is there a pattern? And I thought about you know, different patterns that could exist. And I was like, well, I wonder, is there a difference in the way the good guys and the bad guys eat? And then I'm trying to, I started trying to think of times that I saw the bad guys eat, and I couldn't think of one. And, and I, it just occurred to me in preparation for this episode, thinking about all the all the most well-known food scenes in the Star Wars movies, they all involve the good guys. And so I was like, well, that's that seems interesting. Why might that be? So we discussed that a little bit. And I was like, and I think we sort of landed on the theory, well, like, well, maybe it's because it, you know, when you see people eat, it kind of, it humanizes them or, or, or I mean, I guess some of the, some of the people, some of the characters who eat in Star Wars aren't humans, um, but it, it, it makes them feel more uh, relatable and, and, makes it easier to root for them, whereas the bad guys all sort of seem seem like these cruel, cold, uh, unfeeling people or, or beasts, uh, so you never see them eat, so it never makes them, they never seem as as, uh, as a result, so, so you don't feel bad when they get killed. Yeah, that, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it was a great episode. Uh, Thanks. It, I've been, again, I've been trying to catch up on your podcast uh, all morning, actually. And you guys have something great new called Ask Mimi. Can you tell us about Ask Mimi? Yeah, Ask Mimi is a new spinoff podcast that we created. Um, it's on Stitcher Premium. Uh, if you if you get that, we have one of the one of the episodes featured in the Sporkful uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's an advice show uh, starring this woman Mimi Sheridan. She's a legend. She's been, been a food critic for sixty plus years. She's just turned ninety two. She is full of opinions. And Ask Mimi is an advice show where we take live on stage, we take calls, uh, relationship advice, and all different kinds of advice that people want. We have celebrities, comedians come by, people like Mo Rocca, Sashir Zameda from Saturday Night Live. They come to Ask Mimi for advice, and um, and it's just a ton of fun. And, and Mimi is, she's amazing. She's just totally such a badass. Um, so listen to it for Mimi, for sure. And I, I will wholeheartedly get behind everything you just said. Uh, I checked it out this morning. I'd never heard of her, and now I'm just I gotta find everything she's ever done. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, she's funny. Uh, she's witty. She's quick witted. At 92, she's she's very quick for a lady of her age, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And I really enjoyed it, man. It was it was a job well done by both of you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. If you check out that, there's one episode in the Sporkful feeds. If people just check out the Sporkful, um, you'll see there's one called the Sporkful Presents Ask Mimi. You can mm-hmm. check it out there. Please, yeah, guys, go go do that. I know that there are a ton of our listeners who are 
who love food just like we do. So it's well worth it. Please go do it. And uh, let's, wrap, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, where can, or first of all, I know you got a book, so tell us where we can find your book. And then uh, on your social media, where can we find you on social media as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, the book is called Eat More Better. You can get it anywhere you get books. Um, social media, I'm, I'm uh, at the Sporkful on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So, uh, you know, you find me there. Uh, connect, um, you know, most of all, if you can, uh, subscribe to the podcast, please. Yeah, go. Uh, you can find our podcast on Stitcher as well. So if you're on Stitcher listening to us right now, just search Sporkful on Stitcher and go find them and, and hit that subscribe button so you can uh, get that in your feed immediately. I promise you it's well worth it. It's well worth your time. Uh, there you Dan, go. Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. And if you don't have any party, parting shots, like a Go Cubs or anything like that, we'll let you out of here, bud. Uh, hmm. Let's get some runs. Let's get some runs. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, you guys hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to the Fat Pack. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break. Back to back, the wrestling pastor and Dan Pashman of Sporkful. Fun interviews. Paul, I don't, I know that you probably had never went that deep on uh, Star Wars food or right. food in Star Wars. Right, right. But uh, that's pretty interesting. We're big Star Wars guys around here. But to, to he sat and figured out that you never see bad guys eating Star Wars. You only see good guys eat. Huh, that's interesting. So It is very interesting little weird but that's the kind of guy he is well, that's true though i mean that's that's interesting i wonder if he uh yeah the only time i've ever done something like that it was like uh, 24 okay because yeah. they never eat oh, oh, and okay. they never go to the bathroom never. but like it, they just live they don't sleep they don't do anything they just continue to continue to continue to continue that's funny so that's why i can't watch shows like that it'd be it's, it'd just hurt me it would hurt you yeah it would <laughs> hurt me okay so uh guys go check him out at sporkful it's a fun podcast it's uh if you're again, they're not foodies; they're eaters. So it's it's a lot of fun, though. Catch think stuff you eat every day and you don't think about. Like there's a science to it, and there's just a lot of fun going on behind it that you should probably go uh, check out because it's it's a uh, it's interesting. Sweet. And then the wrestling pastor, go check him out on Twitter uh, if you want to have fun with gifts. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> and uh, give him a shout out. Tell him the fat pack sent you to both of them. Let them know that you heard them here, and that would help us out greatly. Paul. Yes, sir. You said that you saw something about Kirk Cousins that you wanted to talk about. Man, there uh, the report yesterday on the radio that the Minnesota Vikings are going to offer or have offered the first basically guaranteed contract to a football player. Fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. Three years, $91 million. That's a whole lot of scratch. It is. I mean, he could buy tops. So <laughs> uh, that's a lot of money to guarantee somebody. I'm a huge Kirk Cousins fan. Don't get me wrong. But, man, that's going to change the game. You know what I mean? Right. It's a three-year deal. He's not getting the seven-year deal that he was hoping to get, like, with the Redskins. It's a three-year deal. It'll put him into his 30s after this deal's over with. And I think at that point, they'll probably just part ways with him. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. But I think this is what you're going to see now in the NFL. You're going to see these these shorter deals for more money up front, mm -hmm. they're going to guarantee it. And then once they're done with you, they're going to be done with you. There you go. <laughs> you know, and then move on. Um, it, it makes sense for Minnesota. They're prime, man. That defense is, is ridiculous. Uh, they've got offensive weapons. If Cook comes back healthy and ready to roll, 
they they got a shot and they got a three year window probably to to win this thing. So I get it going after Cousins, paying him thirty million dollars. Kudos to Cousins for getting his paid. Sure, you know if that happens, the Jets are still in the running though. You know, but we'll see how uh, that, the that Jets works are out. interesting because they can offer more money. They can offer more money. So. Uh, if I'm Cousins though, I mean. I'd, I'd where do go, you go? Where do you go to win? Yeah, I go Minnesota. Yeah, I, mean, I think they just have to, they're just set up better right now to uh, to win than the Jets are. Um, all the pieces are in place, and, and no offense to K- Case Keenum. I mean, obviously he got him to the playoffs and, and and did well, but I think Cousins would put him over the top. He's just a little bit better thrower. Be uh, be interesting. There's be some big Vikings fans here in the office that would have some thoughts about it. I'm sure. Yes. Um, speaking of big money, have you seen this card that's up for auction? This Mickey Mantle. Uh, PSA nine. I I heard a little <laughs> rumors on uh, Facebook. I saw a few posts and whatever, just because of who I'm friends with. And yeah, uh, yeah, man, that's uh, that's crazy. Uh, this is Dave Seidman, uh, from, uh, contributor from Forbes, with this post. But turns out we know this guy. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that Forbes yeah, is doing this exactly. article. So that just that takes you to a whole new level. Uh, Evan Mathis has all the fame any red blooded American man could hope for. During his 11 NFL year career, the offensive guard was a two-time Pro Bowler and a Super Bowl champion with the 2016 Denver Broncos. Boom. Since his retirement, also Fat Packs alumni, he has become <laughs> a, su- a successful sports card dealer. And two days ago, I filed a post about the first public sale of a mint Mickey Mantle 1952 Topps baseball card in 12 years. It may well command $3.5 million, shattering the record 1910 Honus Wagner tobacco card set in 2016. Just six 1952 tops have earned a mint nine rating, with only three rising higher to a perfect gem. Heritage did not, did not disclose the consigner. Auction, auction houses seldom do that out of respect for privacy. But an eagle-eyed collector named Eric Richard tipped me off on the Facebook forum. Oh, God. Baseball card... <laughs> <laughs> baseball card collectors and training keeping it real <laughs> jackasses that's um, funny so basically what he did was at the national you and i saw this card we did yeah we it was uh, right there in front of us we did i had to uh get the napkin out and uh, yeah. wipe my chin and uh yeah i mean it's phenomenal yeah it sure is phenomenal so what eric did he he saw it and he took a picture of it uh-huh. and then he can he he saw the article and he compared ads, or he compared pictures with what he had, and turns out it is Evans' card. Ah, so well there you go. Uh, Mr. Mathis is gonna walk into a big payday here pr- pretty soon. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, without um, a doubt. If it if it sells, which we fully in- hope, we fully think it will sell. Well, we'll yeah, we'll try to get him back on to uh, talk about it. Evans been on the show like four or five times. I think he's the <laughs> he's our he most has. rotating guest ever. So. <laughs> Which is awesome. It is. It is a lot of fun. Um, but that's going to be fun to watch. That Watch us see what happens with this uh, Mickey Mantle card, how much money it's going to demand, and how much it's going to change the market. Yeah, because, I mean, it's kind of uh, – I just never thought anything would eclipse the Hannes Wagner card. Sure. You know, uh, I just thought that that was going to be the uh, the one. And now, you know, will we get some kind of little bit of competition going now? You know, will the right. next, you know, what's the next Hannes going to go for and, and, and back and forth? So, right. Um, very interesting. It'll be also interesting to see who owns the other ones right? Uh, in that mantle, that upper echelon of those mantles, if they uh, decide to cash in too. And how fast they come running. Yeah, <laughs> how fast they come to, uh, to, to sell them. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a big year for vintage now because I think this is, you know, we're still in the first quarter. Sure. This is going to be a huge sale. And then I think you're going to see, 
a few more the rest of the year. Sure. So awesome. It's gonna be interesting. It's, good, right. it's good for the hobby, man. When Forbes is reporting on this hobby, it's good. It's awesome. It's real good. That's the biggest thing I think coming out of the industry summit that we took away on a whole was that the hobby is doing real well, and um, it, that's good to see when Forbes is reporting on it. It's something something good's happening. Yeah, yeah. It'll make the news. You know, it'll sell. Yeah. And it'll make you know the nightly news, or it'll make some quick story here or there, maybe even ESPN or something. Sure. Um, which all that stuff's just good. Yep. It's good, good, good. Keeps putting it out in front of people. Um, it's just great, man. It's great to see the hobby doing well. It's great, like I said the other night, being at the basketball game, at yeah. the Mavericks game, looking up, huge Panini sign. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, go get these cards, go do this, grab this app, whatever. Um, it's good. Okay. Very good. Last piece of business here. Uh, our friends over at No Hudda Sports have graciously given us a spot on their website, and our podcast is like tops right there. Right? Sweet. You see it right there. So, uh, I wanted to return the favor. All right, let's I said, hey, let's let's look at a No Huddle Sports article and see what we can do with it. Now, we don't have to run a No Huddle offense, do we? No, we're not. Because we're, we're not, not running, capable. We're not running No Huddle anything. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, just, just checking. All right. Uh, this is from March 3rd uh, from Ryan McCormick, my, my man over at No Huddle, who I believe runs the website, actually. All so. right, the man. Uh, the 10 best rivalries in sport. Okay. This is something that's been done over and over and over, right? Right. Oh, uh, yeah. But this is what I want to do. I want to look at it and talk about how the collectability of these teams, like like okay. what they offer to the hobby. Okay. All right? Let's do it. So uh, we'll mention these first three. These are honorable mentions. We won't go deep into them at all, or, or if at all, but uh, first, Texas football versus Oklahoma football. I think that's kind of on a downside, uh, especially, well, since Mac Brown was there, it's really slid down yeah i agree with that um this is this is a big one this does have huge collectible uh significance louisville basketball versus kentucky basketball yeah uh, for sure i mean you can just name people right Ugh, forever we could have a whole podcast on exactly that uh and the last honorable mention and it's significant considering what happened in, in february new york giants and philadelphia eagles okay yep so um Lots of collectible names there as well. For sure. All right, let's start the list. Top 10 collectible names. Do it. Islanders versus Rangers. Okay. Is this number 10? This is number 10. Okay, so we're going. Okay. We're uh, going All right. Rangers, they're obvious players now. John, um, I almost said John Tavares. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ryan McDonough. All, there's a bunch of Rangers names that you can name. Right? Okay. But I think in the, the hobby, collect, the hockey hobby, there's not many names bigger than those that run of four championships that they had in the in the eighties. Um, just name somebody, you know. <laughs> right, right. Mike Bossy, Brian Tardier, Tardier, uh, Billy Smith. Just they're all there. Right, they're all there. Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> okay. Well, that's cool. All right. Next up. Ding ding ding. Cavs Warriors. I mean, really. <laughs> That's so. I don't know if I like that one that much. Yeah, it's too new. It's it's really new. It's new. It's in the what last five years. Sure, you know. Uh, and here's the thing about it: it's going to change next year. Yeah, it goes away next year. Right. LeBron's off to who knows where. Right. Philly. And then it's over. So, you know, he goes Philly, goes L.A., surf skis, whatever that whole thing is. You know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I like that one. I mean, I get it right now. Yeah. Right now, yes, yeah. so they played some great games and some some juggernaut matches, but. Eh. So, Braun, Steph, Katie, yep, all right there. Oh, I mean the top, top three guys in the league. Sure, you know, but arguably in, uh, 
you know, they all have their, uh, you know, LeBron would win out on on those guys. They definitely yeah. have some more value to him. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't like that as on this, on this okay. sheet. That's fine. That's all I like it. Here we go. Next. Cubs Cardinals. This is one that, especially in recent years, has been um, just a who's who. Yeah. Bryant, Schwarber, uh, name a guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, the Cardinals have had a, a ton of people. And, and even back in the day, man, mm-hmm. this one's been going on for a long right. time. Bob and, Gibson, uh, uh, Stan Musial, Ernie Banks. You know, you just name somebody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think now, and I think it's become more legit now that the Cubs have, have gotten over that hump and got a, a championship. So now it kind of... Even even a little bit more now, you know the Cardinals are going after him a little bit more uh, to try to uh, right. to get him. I think so. I think what's interesting here is that like they have the, the huge superstars, right? But then there's that second tier of guys that everybody loves that col- they collect them, but you don't really they, they might not carry much weight in the hobby for sell or whatever. Right, like the Willie McGee's and yeah. the Terry Pendleton's yeah. and guys like that that have played. And um, but yeah, they're super popular. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, but that's cool. It's good to see that, yeah. you know, because they were fan favorites, and uh, sometimes that means more than than being the the superstar. It definitely does. Okay, um, number seven, and this is it, it's got history written all over it. Celtics Lakers. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's not as big as as it. Well, I mean, right now you've got what Tatum versus Ball, right? You know, uh, Tatum's winning, right? But I think Tatum's always going to win that because ball's not a score. Sure, scoring's what drives the market for 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 cards. Sure, you know ball ball's going to have a good career and his cards will have value. But I think if Tatum really takes off and can play well, he'll definitely he'll definitely trumpet. Sure. Um, but yeah, but back in the day, I mean, you figure Bird and Magic cards are neck and neck. Um, Considering that they're on the same rookie card, on the same rookie card, <laughs> which is just phenomenal. I mean, that just leads itself to having a sure uh, to have it. now. Because they were what Michigan State and Indiana, right? Uh, Indiana State, Indiana State. So, yeah. you know, they were Midwest teams or whatever, and yeah. it's just man, that's just that's a, that's a cool thing to talk about in the hobby. And then you go back further than that. You got Wilt, you got Elgin Baylor, you got uh, John Havlicek, you got Bill right. Russell, you got just I mean, again, name a player, right? And, and it's there, and so many championships between the two. Yes, and, yes. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And that one should be a little. Well, and the collectible think? one. Yeah. If we were doing it from a collectible standpoint, yeah. that should be top three. Probably. Okay, I got you. Number six, this one's for you, buddy. This is all you. Oh, is it? Caps pins. All right. Yeah, man, there's there's no more hated team in the, in the D.C. area than the Penguins. Sure. I mean, maybe the Cowboys, but <laughs> <laughs> the Penguins are right up there. Um, yeah, I mean, they've had some fantastic matches over the year. Now, from a collectible standpoint, though, mm. past Ovechkin, the Caps got nothing. Yeah. You know, if you go back to the '90s and the '80s, the '80s and '90s or whatever, they it's really, tough. But there's, there's guys. There's there. guys, but they just don't. There's no big dollar guys. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, Dino Cicerelli's not commanding a whole lot of money. Scott Stevens isn't. Uh, Langway's not. Gardner. Yeah. I mean, those are all lower level guys. To where the Penguins have had the superstars throughout the year. So I think the Penguins would definitely, from a collectible standpoint, win out. Mario. Mario. I mean, now Sid. they have kind of Crosby and Novechkin are kind of neck and neck. I yeah. mean, you do the hockey price, but I'm pretty sure they're 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 similar, comparable to each other. They are. Yes. So, um, but I think overall, I think the pen, pens went out on that one. All right. Number five. Uh, this is a college one, so it'll be a little tougher, but if you can think of names that come from these schools, yeah, Alabama, Auburn. Okay. Yeah, Cam Newton comes immediately to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Alabama's got so many guys, yeah, man. Yeah, Joe Namath. I mean, <laughs> there's so, yeah, there's a ton. Yeah. Auburn, uh, Bo, right? Yeah, Bo. Yeah. yeah I mean, so. From a collectible standpoint, gosh, I would imagine Alabama wins out. We, I think so, we know. just because of the 
we know a shop in Alabama, Curtis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's up, Curtis? Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's all he talks about is the selling Alabama cards. So uh, I think they probably went out in a collectibles world. But where you go anyways. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Number four. And this is one that is definitely, from a collector standpoint, I think it's top five. This is number four, but I think from a collectible okay. standpoint, it's top five. Bears Packers. Oh, huge. Walter Payton, Gail <sighs> Sayers, Refrigerator Perry. Right. Uh, Bart Starr. Bart Starr. Brett Greg, Favre. Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers. Urlacher uh, is yeah. one of the – he basically defined – like became the popular defensive guy. Yeah. He actually added value to the defense you right. know, um, from a collectible standpoint. So, I mean, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, there's just – there's so many, man. There's so lot, many. There's guys. a lot of those guys, and such a good rivalry too, man. You're talking about two, basically frozen tundra teams playing sure. at each other, you know, and uh, it doesn't get much better than that. And again, this is a, a teams with a list of secondary guys that everybody loves. Neil Anderson, right? You know, when was the last time you heard Neil Anderson's <laughs> name, right? Right. But he was such a popular player. He was. He was huge. And uh, does people like uh, what's that guy? Jeff Kuhn? Yeah. John Kuhn? John right? Kuhn. Yeah. This stuff. This stuff sells really, really yeah. well. Mason Crosby Mason sells Crosby. well. He's a kicker. You know, this stuff sells well. So. Uh, Mark Chamora, uh, Dorsey <laughs> Levins, just <laughs> Antonio Freeman. You know, just Willie name. Gentry actually yes. sold well back in the day. So. Travis Jarvie. You know, we're just <laughs> we're going on and on and on. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. That's uh, that's good stuff right there. And my man Desmond, he he got a he got was it Desmond? Desmond, Desmond Howard didn't he run back two two kicks in the Super Bowl? Yeah, he did. Yep, there you go. Yep, yep. All right. Next up, number three, and this is one that again is a college it's a college based rivalry, but we can name names forever. Duke UNC. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean UNC takes it with Jordan, but yeah, yeah. you're right. You can. You can go on forever with that rivalry. Yeah. Um, so many great players: um, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley. Mm-hmm. You know that whole team was f- phenomenal. How much is it hurting you right now to name all these great players? <laughs> yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks, but it, you know it is what it is, man. You know I can't if I, as a Maryland fan, I don't I don't have Jordan. Sure, I don't have Grant Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't have guys like that. You also that. don't have Lenny Bias, but you know, it's yeah, yeah, we don't either. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> um, yeah, that's just crazy stuff, man. They, uh, Jordan. I think Jordan being on this in this rivalry probably puts this top three as well. Yeah, overall, from a collectible standpoint, yeah. you know, and there's just so many guys, man, that, that have come out of both those schools. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Carolina takes it. All right, number two, and this is one for Matt: Ohio State, Michigan. Another who's who's man, especially in recent years. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You know, you got the, the you know, obviously Zeke mm-hmm. um, did a lot there. Brady. Has, yeah. has just changed. Brady changed the game. Changed, changed the game, you know, being who he was, where he was picked, and has changed football uh, forever probably on the NFL level. So I think if you have to – I mean, if you have to pick one, I think you have to go with Michigan um, okay. because, I mean, we're talking – we're just talking about football. Michigan, that mm-hmm. Fab Five. Sure. I mean, all those guys, they weren't necessarily the top-tier guys. They're all collectible. Sure. Every last one of them. Yep. You know, all those guys. Jalen Rose still, you know, Chris Weber, they all have fan bases. Juwan Howard. Yep. And, you know, the people collect their stuff. Jimmy King, who was the third one or fifth one? <sighs> it's a guy that just – I don't think he never <laughs> made it. Yeah, the, the fifth one, the the forgotten Fab. <laughs> all right. All right, number one. We're around this out with number one. All right. And this is a good one, and it's very obvious. Now we've named all these great rivalries, and I think this is number one in collectible – Collectible stuff. Oh, you do? Okay. I think it is. All right, what do you got? Yankees, Red Sox. Ah, uh, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, arguably the you could you could put together the top ten baseball players from that. Yeah, from you, those two. You really could. Um, 
and then just recent years again recent years last 10 15 years whatever mm. just the Ortiz's and the Jeter's and the you know those guys band just going at it and uh Big Poppy's so collectible Jeter's so collectible yeah. um Maniano Rivera is just you know ridiculous and then you go back to the 80s Mattingly Boggs yeah. I mean it's it's great stuff man Yastrzemski back further yeah you know, a little Jim, farther back Jim right? Rice uh and you don't even talk about Mickey Mantle you know, Mantle Greg right uh, Ruth Gary Ted, Ted Williams yeah. I mean what do you there's yeah, yeah. Just, hands just down. Going on, on it wins. It so wins. it does win. I think it wins in probably both polls, uh, both the collectible side of the poll and probably the best rivalry poll. Yep, I agree. Um, it's interesting. Now we say that because baseball season's right around the corner. The around the corner. <laughs> you know what's not honorable mention? What's that? Redskins Cowboys. Do you think that is? Do you think that's there? I mean, it I know. It was that, there at one time. I know that there's a lot of collectible Cowboys. I don't, I mean, I don't know about the Redskins, though. There's I mean, a. There's some. I mean, There's how some. many Mark Rippon cards do you need? Well, he only has like 20. Does he really? So, yeah, he doesn't have very many. How many Trent Green cards running himself into the, into the, giving himself a concussion on the wall do you need? I don't know, man. Probably about as many as you need as Romo fumbling at the goal line. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Good stuff. Yes, indeedy. That was a fun. That was a fun little uh, article. Uh, men like men like list. We like list, right? We do because so, that's the only way we get anything done. You give us ten, and we'll, we'll we'll review it for you. And there you have it. That's uh that's the collectability of uh, the no huddle sports top ten list, top ten rivalries in sports right now. Dude, I'm digging that man. I like it. I'm digging it. They it's got tons fun. of stuff like that up there. Yeah, they got lots of stuff. You guys should go check them out. Yeah, uh, no huddle sports and. Uh, Tell them the fat pack sent you. It will, it will help you. There you go. I don't know what to help you with. It'll, uh, help, no, you. it'll help somebody. Yeah, it'll help somebody. somebody. Help you feel good about yourself today. All right. Uh, we don't have a lot of time for much else, but I do want to get to one fat packs poll. Oh, sweet. We had we had a lot yesterday. Oh, yesterday was National Cereal Day, by the way. It was. And we uh, asked for some pictures of cereal cards. A lot of a lot of response. Oh, okay. We had a lot of fun with it. All right, all right. Okay. Bye da ba da ba. This is the one I want to talk about. Fat Packs poll. Which of the four original Beckett number one covers is your favorite? Ah. Clemente, Jackson, Gretzky, Jordan. Uh, Bo won 43%. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Gretzky and Michael were really close with 20 and 26% respectively and 11% for Clemente. Yeah. That first baseball cover isn't that great. It's not. It's right. It's hanging right here. Right. Yeah. It's just not that. I mean, 1984. Yeah. So you have to put that into consideration. It doesn't pop. Right. You know, it doesn't have that full picture like the other ones. Sure. Um, so I think that's why I came in last. If they would have just taken that Clemente card and made that pop, it would, we'd probably be talking a different Somebody story. Somebody was in here the other so, day and pointed this out. I didn't recognize this, but Del Murphy actually signed that. Oh, he did. You're yeah. right. I didn't notice that until just, it was. I forget who pointed it out to me. Oh, that's right. He did. But that's he signed wild. that. That's pretty cool. That was very cool. I like it. Doctor, you know, by Doctor James Beckett yep. on there. First issue with the baseball bat. I'm digging the issue. Yeah, I, I see where in a poll like this, yeah. people are just drawn to boom. Sure, and so. we have, we have the bow right behind your head there. That's I think that's the most iconic one. Um, yeah, for it, sure. It's such a great shot, and bow looks like he's gonna eat somebody it's <laughs> well it's per, i mean the first one was it was december 1989 yeah i mean that was right in bo's wheelhouse sure man. so that's uh that's good stuff do you number do you know number two for football it was nobody right it was john elway oh it was john elway who's was no, a nobody we don't know like no, no i thought it was i thought it was a bus you know not every cover is great right we're also staring at nolan ryan and todd van poppel <laughs> exactly. on the future stars beckett so, exactly uh, only half of that one worked out so <laughs> 
So that was the only one I want to get to. There's, there's a lot of other ones here that um, would be fun to talk about, but we are up against it. We have stuff to do. I got to get this podcast out, and we got to go have lunch. Lunch is very important. I like how we always work lunch into the conversation. We do. Lunch or breakfast. Lunch or breakfast. Or, but, uh, or buffet. Or brunch. There you go. Or second lunch. Yes. <laughs> or, yeah, we just eat. So we had an eater on the show. Yeah. I wish I was there. It was great. So... But we we answered the question: Is a hot dog a sandwich? Wow, what's the answer? I haven't listened yet. We agree, yes, that, that is, is a sandwich. sandwich. But according on... to the Fat Packs poll, it is not a sandwich. Wow, I what just, is it then? It's a it's a hot dog. It's a hot dog. Yeah. All right, All but right. it's hot dog a meat. That's the question you should ask. It's because <laughs> the the one I wanted to talk about was is is cereal soup. Oh, I can see. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See. All right. I see. We'll see. All right, we'll get to that at a later date. Uh, that's it for the show. The rest of this month is going to be a little hectic. It is National Women's Month, so we're going to feature women in sports and in the hobby for the rest of the month. Uh, at least one episode, uh, one interview per episode. Okay. And then uh, you and I are going to Arizona in a few weeks, hanging Ooh. out uh, with AZ Sports Cards. If you are in the uh, Scottsdale area, you want to come say hi, just let us know and we'll make it happen. Uh, would love to get as much fan interaction as we can out there and uh, going to be bringing you some uh, good shows from the desert. The desert. The desert. Paul? It's bone dry out in the desert. It is bone dry. I've been watching the, le- the weather and it's like 30s in the morning and, you know, 80s in the afternoon. So Nice. It's going to be uh, one of those things where we probably get deathly ill. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that forecast there, Mr. Happy. All right, guys. uh, We're out of here. Thanks for listening. Until next week, just keep listening. Cue the Jericho. Mission control, it's stories to be told Bows decode these remotes Broke down but the speed hole The illness from CO Deep through the keyhole to see this one light Leeches lurking in the darkness Won't leave living tonight Punchline for fist fight Because they heads ain't fed right How can you see my brother with no perspective of sight Can't do good and live right Kick snares and high hats They be the get right Here they give the blind sight What? Me and my people just might tonight Alright me and my people just mine. Me and my people just mine tonight, alright? Me and my people just mine. Me and my people just mine tonight, alright? Me and my people just mine. Me and my people just mine tonight, alright? Me and my people just mine. Me and my people just mine tonight, alright? Me and my people just mine. And on the kick rhyme. Vicious, still sounds stupendous Other cats on the radio, they sound horrendous We some mind benders and they never been pretenders You out here trying to end us, but y'all just beginners We some natural born killers and we creeping through your windows, man We the fucking realest, man, regardless if you feel us, man Don't make me call the hitters, to pay the grave diggers 